Simon Cowell's called off his engagement. Who saw that one coming? Answer me this, answer me this. Who'd have thought Hollyoaks would still be running? Answer me this, answer me this. Helen and Ollie, answer me this. You're wrong, Helen. Oh, no. That never happens. I don't that never ha- that literally never happens. Yeah. What have I done? Uh, well, married Martin, number one. We could be <laughs> here all day. The relevant point is uh, Maria, who's been in touch to say, um, you're wrong, Hugh Laurie's album is amazing. I didn't say it wasn't amazing, I just said I didn't want to hear it. Yeah, actually, I remember that moment. I yeah. said, are you interested in Hugh Laurie doing a blues album? You said, as any reasonable person would, no. no. I love hearing him do face trumpet on Fry and Laurie. I want to keep that just pure... She says Hugh Laurie's album is amazing. I must have listened to it about a hundred times. Good for you, but you and I are different people, Maria, and I don't want to listen to it. Uh, Anyway, she says, other than that, last week was a great Answer Me This episode. Well, about 60 billion people disagree with you, Maria. There aren't (laughs) even that many in the world. A lot of you have written in so, oh, you're idiots, you don't know the peas pudding rhyme. Peas pudding hot, peas pudding cold, peas pudding in the pot, nine days old. No, I don't. Never heard it. I knew it. I'd just forgotten it because it's not a good rhyme. It's not got a catchy tune like Food Glorious Food has got that helps you remember it. Although I did say, didn't I, when you said that it was Food Glorious Food, that that wasn't a nursery rhyme. That should have been... We should have all realised that that wasn't it. Depends on the kind of nurseries you hang around in. In Ollie Mann's nursery, Lionel Bart is a nursery rhyme. (laughs) I came down the staircase every day in my nursery going, with one look. Um, (laughs) Well, now I know the peas pudding rhyme. uh, And from peas in a pudding to... um, peas in a pudding Uh, this is from Carol from Greenock who says my 17 year old son makes ice lollies from frozen peas by adding wait for it (laughs) coca-cola to the peas oh what fresh hell is this Mm. and placing a teaspoon into it as it freezes to use as a lolly stick that's the only part of this bit that I agree with so Helen answer me this do you think the ice lolly companies might want to use this idea commercially. Wouldn't have thought so. They don't even seem that inclined to use real fruit. Well, I reckon Coca-Cola have analysed the market for ice lollies before. They're a big global conglomerate. Are they? Yeah. Well, they're doing well. Yeah. Um, yeah, they are, Helen. And I reckon if they wanted to enter that market, do a, say, 40p Coca-Cola branded version... They've had their opportunity. They'd probably use the classic cola flavour first, or possibly cherry Coke, before using Pink pulses. Flavor. <laughs> yeah. I mean, how did the pea-flavoured Coke line work out? <laughs> It's a horrific idea. Wasn't, wasn't that New Coke? I think they only sold it in South America, didn't they? <laughs> the thing is, though, it is made of a secret blend of vegetable extracts, isn't it? So they say. So that is, I mean, for all we know, Could peas be. might be in there as it is. Yeah. Would they never be able to market it on the basis add peas in is the point? No, I think, if anything, that would put people off the cola lolly that yes. they might have been waiting all this time for. Exactly. So if, even if peas were the magic ingredient, mm. Carol, they wouldn't, like, I imagine your son's lollies do have visible whole peas as chunks in the middle. <laughs> also, I just don't think... It would look nice. Well, here's a question from Chris from Harlow who says, I've just finished a rather lovely curry at my local Indian restaurant. Have a good morning tomorrow. (laughs) And (laughs) And as per usual, we received some hot towels to wash our hands and face with after we finished. Mm -hmm. However, surely it can't be cost efficient to offer every diner a hot towel after their meal. After all, it only seems to be Chinese and Indian restaurants that do it. So Wally, answer me this. Why do Chinese and Indian restaurants give out hot towels at the end of the meal? And what was the first place to do it? Well, okay. Firstly, your point about it being cost-effective. Before I get onto the origins of this, putting a, t- a reusable towel in a microwave. Yeah, it's the oh. most cost-efficient thing. Think of all the things that they could give you to make you feel special and first-class. Shortly before you receive the bill, exactly, and to and get a- your muck off your hands so you don't smear the restaurant with gravy and things. Yes, yeah. and a reusable towel dunked in water, which last time I checked comes free out the tap. Well, it's not free, free. 
it's pretty free. They're paying for it anyway. They're paying for it in the third world. Um, so I think, actually, cost efficiency-wise is a very sensible thing to hand out. More so than the mints. Disagree with your cost efficiency point. I can think of nothing else that would create that feeling of being spoiled that, that's so cheap. But um, <laughs> I know what to get you for my birthday. <laughs> We've got a microwave, Helen. So anyway, where was the first place to do it? No one knows. It's a Japanese tradition based on oshibori. That's what they call oh, it. Oh, yeah. Which literally means hot towel. So that's what you said. Okay. It's a, yeah, so it's not like it's. thought we got this tradition, so we better just take it very literally. But it's funny that, isn't it? A lot of Japanese things like that, like karaoke, sounds like an exotic thing. That mm. just means like singing, singing words or something. Drunk singers. Yeah, something like that. Don't, don't, don't write it and tell me exactly what it means, but it's something like that. But it's I, a literal word. It doesn't surprise me that it's Japanese because um, they seem very keen on customs that promote cleanliness, particularly yes. where food and drink are concerned. And also they seem very embarrassed personally if they're not clean. Here's a question from Darren from across the pond. He lives on Hampstead Heath. He says... <laughs> My partner's cousin and her husband, a Baptist minister, stopped by on Christmas Day for dinner. While I genuinely like them, that's generous of you, every time we share a meal, we must hold hands around the table and pray for what seems like an eternity. Mm. You don't pray for eternity, Darren. If you know anything about Christianity, you get that anyway. Well, you pray that your soul isn't in internal damnation. That's right, yeah. So it's probably worth spending the eternity now to save on the eternity later. (laughs) That's right. I'm an atheist. Uh, I find it very rude that they come to my house and make us go through this ritual. They're only trying to save your soul. Uh, I would not dream of going to anyone's home for a meal and make them conform to my belief system if I was not completely certain that they shared it. So, Helen, answer me this. What should I do? Maybe don't invite a Baptist minister around on Christmas Day. What do you think's going to happen? It's his cousin and he likes his cousin and you're not going to say to your cousin, don't bring your husband, especially if you like the husband as well. Maybe just invite them around for drinks and not for meals. Yeah, maybe. I mean, look, if it was any other lunch, I'd probably agree with you, but I think on Christmas Day he's allowed. It's the most important day of the Christian calendar. No, it's not. That's Easter. No, Christmas is more important. You can't ask a Christian not to pray on Christmas Day. It's ridiculous. I think exactly. That would be more offensive and rude, wouldn't it? But But I take your Point. He could pray before he went in. That's true. <laughs> I do think it's a bit presumptuous. I don't think it's the prayer itself. I think it's more that they have lumbered everybody with what they want to do, regardless of what everybody else wants. If Darren is going to someone else's house and they choose to pray, you just keep your head down yeah. and don't make an exhibition of yourself and just go along with it. But coming to somebody else's house... I agree. It's their problem, really. Mm. I think in that situation, I would take the hit and be like, OK, well, I've got to pray for two fucking minutes. I'll just, you know, swallow my atheist pride for 120 seconds and have a nice Is Christmas that an energy day. drink? <laughs> it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a bitter. <laughs> I've just had a great idea. Mm, I doubt it, so but be- let's see. Just before you all hold hands, mm. everybody pick up a cracker. <laughs> 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 then put up with the praying. Yeah. And then after the amen, bang! If you got a question, question, email your question to answer me this podcast at googlemail.com. Answer me this podcast at googlemail.com. It's great, it's great. Time for a question from Hayley, who says, As 2012 is a leap year, I was thinking about proposing to my boyfriend. What? I wouldn't want to marry him at any other time, but opportunity knocks. I don't understand. Traditionally, on the 29th of February, a lady is allowed to reverse the natural order of things and propose to her gentleman friend. I see. It's 5th century Irish tradition when St. Bridget complained to St. Patrick 
that women had to wait for ages for men to propose. And so St. Patrick decided that women were allowed this one day every four years to propose to men. And also, if men refused, they had to pay a fine of usually a pretty garment or something for the lady. And and also, interestingly... (laughs) Uh, February the 29th, which um, was a late addition to the calendar, of course, to even up the days, mm-hmm. um, had no legal status. And I wonder whether that meant that just anything happened on that day was just so crazy that even something as mad as a woman proposing to a man could take place. <laughs> something They're as topsy-turvy the, yeah, as oh, a woman being in control order. of her own destiny and sexual feelings. Anyway, Haley continues. I know he, my boyfriend, wants to get married, as we've talked about it before, and he's told me he thinks of me as his fiance. Is that him asking in a really rubbish way? Yeah, I think it might be, isn't it? He's not playing his cards close to his chest, is he? Uh, I think the reason he hasn't asked yet himself is that he's currently in education uh, and not earning enough to buy a ring. Well, the ring's only the start of it. If you want to get married, even the most minimalist way is going to cost you hundreds of pounds. That's right, yeah. Registrars, and, they don't come cheap. And to be honest, when he leaves education at the moment, he's not going to get a job. He's not going to have any money for ages. Maybe he could pass the time by hand-making rings out of <laughs> discarded household objects. Uh, we've been together for two years and lived together for about one and a half years very happily. I honestly can't stand to be away from him for one night and he's the same. Aww. He loves himself too. <laughs> I really do. Well, he's indivisible from himself. <laughs> I really do want to marry him and spend the rest of my life with him. This Aww. is good practice for me, reading this kind of schmaltz without any kind of irony. It's all right, because Ollie only cries when he sees a killer whale dancing. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, It's funny because it's true. So Helen, answer me this. Because it's weird. <laughs> do you think women should ask men to marry them? Uh, and then she's got a series of other questions. Okay, which well, we'll try so I just answer this one first. Okay, do that one first. Uh, I don't see why not, but I think why on this day? If you want to ask him, just ask him any other day. That's my instinct too. But then perhaps you could argue, and I'm just playing devil's advocate here because I kind of agree with you, but perhaps you could argue that marriage is quite a traditional thing to do full stop. So if you're going to do it, why not do the traditional thing of having the man ask you? And then be the little woman who has no legal rights, like well, traditional marriage. Well, but that's become a chattel. But I'm, I'm saying this from the no, point of view of someone who doesn't want to get married because I think it's outdated. But I'm saying if you're going to do it, <laughs> and because and you don't want the hassle, will he feel a little emasculated? Depends what kind of man he is. I think Martin, would you have felt emasculated had I asked you? Because I felt emasculated that you asked me. He needed a bit of emasculating. Strongly agree. Well, it's difficult. I think if I were in his position and I'd been, I was asked by my girlfriend for marriage. I would feel like I wasn't really ready to to be able to put on a good show for the wedding. I'll tell you how I'd feel, actually. I'd feel like she was asking me, but really she would want me to then ask her, because it's so embedded in our culture that the man asks the woman. That even though she asked me, I'd then propose to her anyway somewhere else. That's what happened with Brittany and Kevin Federline. Is it? Yeah, she asked him and he said no, and then he asked her, thinking, meal ticket. Yeah. (laughs) It's very strange, isn't it? Because there's a certain aspect of the proposal that for the woman, it's finally like a sense that the man is committed to them. But then Haley and her boyfriend have only been together for two and a half years, which uh, to her seems like a long time, but in many ways is still in the honeymoon period. Uh, she continues, I'm a little worried that I may be robbing him of the chance to propose to me and losing the once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to be proposed to. From that sentence, it sounds like actually Haley would like not to propose to him, and it's not because of the emasculation, etc., she wants to have that moment where she's sure that he wants to get married yeah. and they do the thing that makes her feel feminine, maybe. And do I have to buy him a ring, she says, if she Ooh, proposes to him? Yes, yes, question. I think you do. Yes. Otherwise, you're not proposing, are you? Yeah. If the man proposed to you without a ring, you'd consider it an insult. So yes, if you're going to do it properly, yes. Now, if this was a Zooey Deschanel film, 
Yes. And she was doing the proposing. Oh, everyone would say yes, wouldn't they? Especially they, Martin. They would. But she'd do it in a kooky way that didn't involve a ring, wouldn't she? She'd probably yeah. make a playlist or something. But she'd put some on, like, special bell on his bicycle. Exactly. That reminded him of her every oh, time he rang it. That's Yeah, exactly. And she'd synchronise his phone with his computer with the doorbell so that they all played the mouldy peaches or something. <laughs> and everyone watching it would be like, oh my God, that's so hot. But actually, I think you need a ring. Unless you're a ring. Her. Men don't really wear engagement style rings often, do they? Oh, now that's true. Because you, the, the, the lady typically gets something quite ornate for an engagement ring, but actually you, the man doesn't want that. He wants a, normally quite a simple band. Or a digger. Yeah. <laughs> Get him a digger. Every man wants a digger. <laughs> you could sort of stand on the, uh, on the scoopy bit and propose from there. That would be adorable. Helen and Ollie, answer me this. I don't want you to dance or kiss But reveal your theories And take off your muzzle Ponder my query and solve this puzzle It's swell Good golly, you crazy kids Oh, Helen and Ollie Answer me this Okay, time to take a question from our phone line The number for which is... Oh, well, you can Skype answer me this. If you like. You can sound more positive about it, Helen. Yeah, it's a good thing to do. It's a free service. Woo! Skype answer me this. Yeah, just um, make sure you're not holding your phone in a strong wind, please, because then we can't hear what yeah, you say. Yeah, that's annoying. And let's see who's called us today. Hello, it's Judy from Plymouth here again. Helen and Molly answer me this. A way to the phrase losing one's marbles came to mean becoming insane or forgetting something there. I read a brilliantly bonkers theory about this that is really blatantly untrue. That this expression evolved out of the British thieving the Elgin marbles. I wonder whether that had something to do with it. No, of course it doesn't. Well, it's ridiculous, isn't it? Great ruse, though, isn't it? Ollie's looking blank. Have you not heard of the Elgin marbles? I'm afraid not. Did you just sleep for your first 20 years or so and absorb zero information? I wasn't educated, Helen. Well, there used to be a freeze around the Parthenon in Athens in Greece. You've heard of Greece, right? I've heard of Greece. Yeah. It's the word. And so the Brits uh, swiped them, put them in the British Museum. Now they won't give them back. So it's it's, it's a marble, not a set of marbles. I assumed it was some massive marble. Hey, well, Martin's just as stupid as me. <laughs> the Elgin marbles? I've never seen them. <laughs> Literally oh, no idea what they look like. Christ. Anyway. Are they, where are they now? The British, in the British Museum? Museum and, and the Brits don't want to give them back so they're saying, well, the Greeks can't look after them. Right, yeah, yeah. Anyway, uh, this expression, um, it probably derives from um, the French marbles in the 19th century, which just meant your stuff. So if you'd lost all your stuff, your life was in tatters. I have this image of like spectacularly dropping a bag of marbles and they're just rolling underneath all of your yeah. furniture yeah, and you can't find them again. Yeah, I think that works quite well. Yeah. I think that's why it still has power. Gallimera, she's Dave, phoning in from sunny Cyprus again. My young apprentice dazzled me this morning with his knowledge when he informed me where a teddy bear gets its name from. Now, as nonplussed as I was by this little gem, it did get me thinking. Helen and Ollie, answer me this. Where does a teddy boy get its name from? I assume there is no connection between Teddy Roosevelt, wasn't it? President of the <laughs> USA, teddy bear thing, and 50s rock and rollers. Yeah. Not much. No. T- teddy boys were so cool because of the Edwardian look, weren't they? That's right, they were reviving the fashions of generations previous, as people do now, 80s revivalists that weren't even alive. Oh. Brick Lane. Okay. Um, it was that, and uh, they were originally called Kosh Boys because they were often quite violent. And one of the advantages of the Teddy Boy jackets was that they were quite roomy and had a lot of pockets, so you could hide weaponry in them and booze. It's one of the ironies about the name, isn't it? 
Sounds make, so cosy. Because you sound like the, out of everyone, out of rockers and punks, you'd give a teddy boy a hug, wouldn't you? Yeah, I wouldn't though because uh, you Maybe know they, because they'd knife you in the back. And also, they've got those big greasy quiffs, and that yeah. would hit you in the face and leave a mark. That's right. Uh, the Express newspaper claimed credit for having coined the term in 1953. It was the last good thing they did uh, because they shortened Edward to Teddy and put it on their front page about the teddy boys. But the term was in use before that. So they were reviving the traditions of the Edwardian period. Yeah. Well, not the traditions, not the etiquette and the butler. Just the not, look. Not the pre-First World War yeah. arms race, etc. Yeah. Not that. Just the look. Yeah. And then that got shortened to Teddy for yeah. Edwardian. And then the yeah, look. Okay. But I wonder whether, as well, this look kind of took off because, you know, after the war, there was still clothes rationing and probably the mid-50s was the first time that this generation had been able to afford clothes and express themselves through them because before the war, they wouldn't have been old enough or alive and um, clothes were very expensive. So maybe this is the first great teen fashion movement, the Teddy Boys. Presumably a lot of um, clothing, like pre-Second World War, was quite class-oriented. Like, a yeah. lot of class divisions got broken up in the First and Second World War, yeah. and suddenly there was this sort of slightly classless style. I mean, it had, you know, Edwardian presumably had sort of slightly posh connotations, but it, yeah. they weren't posh people, no, the Teddy Boys. in fact, it was a big working-class movement. That's, in a way, then, it's kind of like the Beatles wearing suits or something. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, sort of yeah. That doesn't happen now, does it? What, a nice band wearing suits that is young. Arctic Monkeys or something. Well, he's quite a dandy, Alex, but in a country gentleman way. Wouldn't come out in white tie, though, would they? Or something very mm, formal. That's a good point. Why aren't any of these bands wearing white tie and tails? White tie looks great on guys. Morning suits, fantastic. What if you dribble something on it? Well, what's the, what's the problem? Well, then you've got an eggy stain on your white tie. And... But that applies for any outfit, Alan. You yeah. can, I mean, don't, no take, al- don't take eggs on stage. No one else is <laughs> a rock and roll game, sometimes, not some sort of egg party. Sometimes you might need a valuable shot of protein before <laughs> performing a concert. <laughs> Hello, it's former Prime Minister and Iron Lady Margaret Thatcher here. While waiting to die, I tune the wireless to answermethispodcast.com and watch Loose Women with the sound down. It could tame the unions any day. Girl power! Here's a question from Becca from Chesterfield who says, The ex-SAS turned author Andy McNabb really bugs me. I just don't understand why he hides his face. Surely (laughs) people can find out more about him from knowing his name and current slash past occupations than they can from having seen his face. So answer me this, Ollie. Why does he feel the need to hide himself from the world and yet it seems everyone can know his name and life story? I think he feels the need because he's got terrorists who are tracking him down who want to kill him. Strikes me as naive a bit, this. And is Andy Mm. McNabb even his real name? I always assume not. Yeah, no, it's a pseudonym, yeah. Well, then it's quite hard to track down that Andy McNabb. And I know that he did specific things, like he was a sniper in a place. So did rather a lot of other ex-servicemen. Yeah, but also, if he revealed his face, then presumably some of the things in his non-fiction books would put people in danger because you'd be able to more readily associate who they were if they were out in the field with him. Maybe he doesn't reveal his face because it's very at odds with the character he he's taken pains to establish actually he's got a pencil moustache and a monocle <laughs> <laughs> he looks like John Waters uh, his contract apparently with the MOD says that he still has to send his writing off to them to be assessed wow what so he doesn't give anything away that is actually of uh, sensitivity and yeah, import exactly yeah point. Sort of, you know na- nationwide secrets and stuff but you'd think if that was the case if he's on that sort of contract if he knows that sort of stuff that he'd be banned from writing at all wouldn't he but I think anyone who's in the SAS um, would be under the sort of official secrets act. I wonder how effective Andy McNabb's books have been as a recruitment tool well, for the military. This is what I was getting at here. Oh, I think the MOD probably would stop someone 
even slightly hinting at things that could reveal state secrets, but for the fact that clearly it's the case, isn't it, that this is like a promotional drive, his stuff, because it makes it look cool, doesn't it? And gives you a career as an author if you've already dreamt of that all your life. No, well, seriously, there's there's a point there, isn't there? You know, you come out and see amazing experiences that other people will be... It will make you more interesting is basically what it's advertising as well as look at the danger and the excitement. Here's a question now from Jenny who says, Helen, answer me this. Prior to the invention of email, did computer keyboards have the at symbol? Yep, and uh, I, in fact, have got a typewriter from, I don't know, the 30s and that's got it on there. And I always thought, is it really worth giving this its own key? Well, they used to have it uh, on fruit and vegetables, didn't they? They'd have apples and uh, uh, pears. It would be ten apples at ten pence each yeah. with the at symbol in the middle. To denote the price of fruit. Per, per fruit. fruit. <laughs> <laughs> what always confused me about the at symbol, even when I was a little girl seeing it at the greengrocers, I thought, is that really quicker than writing the two-letter word at? Yeah, and so why did that come about as a thing? Well, actually, it probably is a bit quicker because you just have to do a big squiggle and it's very instantly recognisable. It's probably international as well, isn't it? Uh, well, it is now. It's done very well for itself, the yeah. app symbol. I'll tell you what needs reviving because it's it's now a sign of something that is, again, just too old to exist. Mm. The underscore. <laughs> you see an underscore in an email address or on a Twitter handle, you just think, oh, that's Li- old. Actually, Ollie, underscore is a very common yep. uh, uh, character used in uh, SQL databasing. You took the words right out of my mouth, but that said... <laughs> Must have been when you were kissing. <laughs> but that listen, said, friends, if you're starting your Twitter handle with an underscore... Yeah. That's a bad... Don't. There's so many reasons why it's bad. Like, one of them, it, very simply, is if you write it down on pen and paper and show it to someone, they don't know whether it's a dash or an underscore. Oh, that's a problem, mm. yeah. Secondly, you have to press shift to use it, oh, which means irritating. old people just can't handle it either. They don't want to handle it. Um, but I just wonder if, you know, if a website came along like the Twitter of the future that somehow changed the underscore so it was something else, mm. made it sexy again. Sexy underscore. <laughs> I'm bringing underscore back. Uh, well, here's a question from Charles from Nottingham and HMS Vanguard. Two places at once. He's either from two places or he's got a friend called HMS Vanguard who's with him sending this question. Uh, But that's a weird nickname if he has. Uh, He says, answer me this, why are storks known for bringing the newborns to the mothers? Well, because uh, midwives have been cut horrendously in recent years. (laughs) Is this something that Disney has started? No. Or is it from way before then? Yeah, It would be a bit radical for Disney to put that as a message in their cartoons if it wasn't an established idea, wouldn't it? I don't know. Birds doing the cleaning. Not quite the same, though, as a substitute for sex. I mean, that's just a racy area to get into, isn't it's it? It's not a substitute for sex, it's a substitute for the horror that is labour. Okay, yes. Well, suppose, well, actually, as you say it, like, even if you leave the sex bit out of it, yeah. I mean, you don't want, really, kids to see that visual image, do you? Even if you explain, you know, they come out of your mummy. You don't want to actually, in a cartoon, in a singing, dancing, uh, silly symphonies type yeah. cartoon, see that in vivid detail. Now I'm wondering whether I had the same Disney films that everybody else had. (laughs) Uh, They're very bloody. (laughs) Uh, Where did this image of the storks come from? Was it from the butter? (laughs) Do you know what? Apparently storks are very family-orientated birds, and I find it difficult to ascribe emotion to birds. Yeah. They always seem so chilly. Uh, But (laughs) the storks, they're apparently very conscientious homemakers. They look after the children very gently. Uh, They return to the same place year after year. And uh, (laughs) apparently the myth went that when the storks migrated to the south each year for the winter, they went to Egypt to a swamp where the souls of unborn children live and brought them back. Did you ever get told in anything attempting seriousness by any of your relatives 
that you were brought here by the storks? Because no. kids do ask, don't they? That's where this has come from originally. And no, no one ever said, oh, I found you under the cabbage patch or anything like that. No, you were I told from a very young age that I was a mistake. a mistake. I nearly gave birth to you in the toilet and yes. I never wanted you. All of those things. <laughs> Good eye. Oh, I'm a daredevil. Answer me this. How many wasabi peas can I put in my mouth at once and continue reading this sentence? A question about the magic of live television now to finish off this week's episode of Answer Me This. It's from Dan in London who says... Helen, answer me this. During live TV broadcasts on commercial stations, what do presenters, guests and audiences do during the ad breaks? We'll have a massive orgy, Dan. (laughs) But only for three minutes. (laughs) Then they have to quickly spruce themselves up. Oh, Ant and Deck's Saturday Night Takeaway was a complete riot. Very bacchanalian. Um, They all do different things, don't they, presenters, guests and audiences? Different beasts. In my experience, that's the time when um, the presenters, etc., get to communicate with the uh, the behind-the-scenes team, say the producer, or they can receive new information, etc. If it's an interactive show as well, they can also decide what uh, tweet or email they're going to read out when they come back from the ad break. Yes. The makeup uh, people will scurry on and yeah. powder them because they're getting a bit shiny and sweaty under the lights. What happens if it's like a live studio audience for like a live show? In the, in the ad breaks, does the host tell some jokes and just keep them entertained? Or? Usually what happens if it's the kind of show where the audience have to be psyched up. Yeah. So, I mean, obviously it's one thing if they're going to watch, uh, you know, some Newsnight debate or something. But mm. if, if They're it... quite psyched already. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to see Jeremy Paxman. I've got an amazing question lined up. Oh, will he notice me? <laughs> um, assuming it's something, you know, like the Jonathan Ross show or even a daytime chat show like Loose yeah. Women or something, like they're supposed to be rowdy. Now, X Factor, presumably, they put vibrators in their seats. I don't know what they do. <laughs> now I know why you like it. <laughs> the warm-up guy usually comes up. I say uh, guy, it can be a woman, but it, it's, it's never, it's guy, never a woman. It? Um, <laughs> the warm-up guy comes up and sort of uh, psychs them up again. I'd like to see what happens at something really, really long and boring, but full of famous people like the Oscars, because there's yeah. so many ad breaks. They must be bored shitless, or if they haven't won, something's going to go off badly with well, them there. Well, they're not supposed to go to the loo apart from during the breaks, are they? Because it looks bad. But they've got those people that sit in their seats, seat fillers. If I was Jack Nicholson, I'd go to the loo whenever I bloody wanted. Well, he's old. He doesn't really have much choice. Well, there we are. Uh, if you've uh, got any stories about what presenters or guests or audiences get up to during TV recordings, do share them with us. I mean, you don't want to know what we do during the ad breaks on this podcast. Uh, then send <laughs> us your thoughts uh, to the same places you send us a question, the details for which are on our website. Answer me this podcast.com. Where you can also find links to our app. Yep. Facebook and Twitter. It's there. All that kind of stuff that you'd expect to find on a well-honed website. We're also uh, still stuck with our PO box. We had to sign up for six months. (laughs) That's right, yes. (laughs) Don't feel that you're late sending us a present. You are, (laughs) but that's fine. And also thank you very much to Gina from Australia who sent us a copy of her local newspaper, Annotated. Yeah, that was incredible. Well, it wasn't really because all local newspapers are funny. Yeah, Not but intentionally. The, but the fact that she spent the time to go through it and choose things that she thought we'd find funny and then send it to a country on the other side of the world. At the cost of, I think, $12? That's very thoughtful. Yeah. Well, Thank you. So, thanks. Uh, so, yeah, if you want to do something like that, our PO box is on the website as well. And we will see you next week. Bye! Bye.